All right. I'm going to have to tell a couple of jokes <laughs> to kind of <laughs> transition. So, uh, Doberman Pinscher, a golden retriever, and a cat stood before the great throne judgment. Doberman Pinscher goes up, and the Lord says, why should I let you into heaven? And he says, I've protected my master my whole life. And the Lord says, sit at my left hand. Golden Retriever comes up, says, why should I let you into heaven? Lord, and the Lord says that, and the pincher says, I mean, the Retriever says, I've been a loyal follower of my master and a loyal lover of my master my whole life. The Lord says, sit at my right hand. Cat comes up before the throne. <laughs> Lord says, what do you have to say for yourself? Cat says, I think you're in my seat. <laughs> All right. So, I'll now I'll show you a cartoon. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, see me after class. Your book reports are surprisingly similar. <laughs> yeah. I have to give credit. I got that one from my wife. All right. So, we've been talking um, for the weeks leading up to Easter we talked about the events in the Gospel of Mark uh, that take us to Easter. And then we looked at, at uh, Mark's account of Easter and, and the resurrection. And what I want to do today uh, is kind of broad stroke uh, all of the events as they are described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the events after uh, the resurrection, the appearances of Jesus, in particular to his disciples and, and to the, the ladies, uh, the Marys, and just lay out all of that. And then we want to ask the question, after we walk through all of that, so what, what does Jesus want? Based on what we see in these encounters, what, is, what does he want from us? What, what does he say to the disciples you know, in these moments after the resurrection, these days where he's appearing strategically and intentionally to his disciples and he's giving them messages for the future, uh, what do we gain from that? And, and what exactly is it that he wants from us? So Matthew, Matthew says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, that there was an earthquake caused by an angel who tells them, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is risen, and what I need for you to do is go and tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. So they go to Galilee, and Jesus tells them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. So that's basically how Matthew describes it. Mark says, in, in the earliest manuscripts of Mark, that actually, if you have a Bible and you're looking at it, the earliest manuscripts of Mark end at Mark chapter 16, verse 8. And that's where the women are told by an angel to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and that he wants them to meet him in Galilee. And that's where it ends. Now, later manuscripts add uh, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene where she tells his followers that she has seen him. She, Jesus appears to Mary, says, go tell my, my friends, go tell my brothers. They, she goes and tells them, and they don't believe her. Okay? Then Jesus appears to two men who are walking, two of his disciples are walking along on the road to Emmaus, and he opens up the scriptures to them and he reveals himself to them. At first, they don't know who he is, and then in the breaking of the bread, they see and they recognize this is Jesus. They go back to the 11, and they tell them, we've seen the Lord. He met us on the road. We walked with him, and they don't believe them. Jesus appears then to the 11. He goes, so he sent them these two guys. They don't believe what they say. So then Jesus goes, and he appears to the 11, and he rebukes them. I know we don't really like that rebuke thing, right? We like to think that Jesus is just always agreeable. He's always just patting us on the back and saying, you're doing great. Everything you do is wonderful. But here, by the way, I would say that's really not the Jesus of the Bible. So you, you know, and I know you read it, so you know that, right? Here, Jesus rebukes them. Why does he rebuke them? He rebukes them because they didn't believe. He rebukes them for not believing. And then he tells them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So that's, that's Mark. Now, Luke says that an angel tells the women that Jesus is risen, and they go and tell the disciples, and they don't believe her. You're kind of getting the pattern here. So Peter then runs to the tomb and he looks in the tomb and he sees that it's empty and he wonders. He wonders. Then also in Luke, we have the description of the road to Emmaus with a little more detail. Uh, Jesus meets these two followers on the road and he has an encounter with them and he, he rebukes them. Guess what he rebukes them for? Not believing. Now, he doesn't rebuke them for not believing when they saw him. He rebukes them for not believing before they saw him. He says it was plain in the prophets. It was plain in the words of the prophets what would happen. You should have known. So he rebukes them for not believing and for not perceiving from the prophets, and then he reveals himself to them, and they are astonished. Now, get this. They are astonished and do not fully believe. I'm sorry. That's just crazy. Okay. Then chapter 24 in Luke, Jesus says, this is what I told you. This is what is written 
and now I'll send you the promise of the Father. So that's the Gospel of Luke. Now, the Gospel of John says that Mary goes to the tomb and finds the stone rolled away and Jesus gone. And she runs. There's a lot of running in the Gospel of John. She runs to Peter and John, and then they run to the tomb. I think it's kind of funny. You read the Gospel of John's account sometimes, and sometime and remember that John wrote it. Okay? Remember that John wrote it because there are some things that are mentioned in here that are not mentioned in the others. From John's perspective, it says Peter and John ran to the tomb, but John got there first. Yeah. And then it says that John saw and believed. Okay. Then Mary Magdalene sees Jesus and he tells her to go and to tell his brothers. And so she goes and she says, I've seen the Lord. And then later on, the, the, the 11 are together and they're in a room behind closed doors and Jesus appears to them. He just walks through the wall, just appears there in the room with them, locked. Locked doors. He just appears, and they're overjoyed. They see him, and Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive my spirit. But there were actually only 10 there. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas missed it. So later on, they see Thomas. They pull him in, and they say, We have seen the Lord. He came and met with us in the room, and Thomas doesn't believe. A week or so later, Jesus comes to Thomas, and he believes. And Jesus says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In chapter 21, Jesus appears to the disciples for the third time, and Peter is restored Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And three times Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So let's pray, and then we'll ask a question. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray that we would hear your voice. Um, I pray that you would speak through me. That you would bring alive your word to us. I pray, God, that uh, anything that is from your heart and from your mouth would pierce our hearts and change our lives. And anything that is not would fall to the ground like dust and be blown away. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does Jesus want? I'm just going to mention five things that I believe Jesus wants uh, from the things that we've read, from the things that can be gathered in these uh, Gospels. And all the Gospel accounts, if you put them all together and just um, measure it out, here's what I think you find. Number one, I believe that Jesus wants to be believed. Jesus wants to be believed at least seven times in the Gospels we read the phrase, they didn't believe. And it troubled Jesus. He wanted them to believe. He rebuked them for not believing. He said to them, even on the road to Emmaus, you should have known just from the scriptures, the promises that were made. Now, here's here's why I say this is so important. Uh, it's, It's still true. Jesus 
wants to be believed. There are promises that he has made that we still today struggle with. We struggle having confidence that our sins are forgiven, even though he said that they are. We struggle believing that we have a place with him, even though he has said that we do. We struggle believing that his words in Scripture are true, even though he says that they are. We live in a, in a time, and actually we live in a culture, where it is considered courageous to question, to doubt, and to redefine what Scripture says. And it's sad. Jesus wants us to believe what he has said. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus said, believe in me. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to put our trust in him. The second thing that I would say Jesus wants is that he wants to be obeyed. He wants to be obeyed. Jesus tells his disciples not just to preach and baptize, but he he says, teach them to obey all that I have taught you. Teach them to obey. Now, we love grace. I'll be honest, I love grace. I mean, you're crazy if you don't love grace. Grace Ann, right? (laughs) Bonhoeffer said, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Jesus wants us to love grace. Jesus also wants us to love obedience. In fact, Jesus said, those who love me are the ones who obey me. If you love me, you will do what I say. Jesus wants to be believed. Jesus wants to be obeyed. Third, I would say Jesus wants to be followed. He wants to be followed. Jesus has a mission. He has a mission, and he wants us to join his mission. I know that you have dreams. I have dreams. I want to say to you, my dreams are secondary. And your dreams are secondary. There are dreams that God has put in your heart. And he wants to bless you and he wants to lead you in those things. And he wants to make your dreams come true. But he wants you to understand, first and foremost, that your dreams are secondary. His dream is primary. 
And his dream is that the world would know who he is. He said, go and tell the world. Go and preach the gospel to all nations. That's his dream. That's his mission. There is a task before us, an assignment. Being a follower of Jesus is not just about having your best life now. It's just not. That's being a follower of Jesus is about joining his mission and saying, we have to make sure that the world knows. Jesus has a mission and he wants us in it and he wants us on it. And that's why he says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. There's a fourth thing Jesus wants. He wants to be with you. He doesn't just send you out and say, good luck. He wants to be with you. In fact, he has promised that he will be with you. He says, I am with you to the very end. I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There may be times when you feel alone. There will never be a time when you are alone. Because he's promised. He's promised. And his promises are true. Always. And he wants to be with you. And then fifth and finally, he wants us to be filled. He tells the disciples, I will send you the promise of the Father. Because Jesus knows that the things that he's put before us to do, we cannot do unless he is in us. The Christian faith has always been about him in us. It's never been live your life for God. Never has been. It's about God living his life in you and through you. And that's why he says, I will send you a helper. I will send you the promise of the Father. Most people uh, kind of lean in one direction or the other. We, you have truth people and you have grace people. And uh, I don't know. I don't know which one you are. Uh, I know I, for the most part, I've, in my old age, I've, I'm, I'm kind of a truth person. I just want everybody to do the right thing. You know? <laughs> Come on, people. Just do the right thing. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm just kind of a truth person. Uh, but I understand the need for grace. I, I really do. I understand my need for grace probably more than under, under other people. But most of us lean either towards truth or towards grace. And that's why we need everybody. We need, you know, both kinds of people in the church because we kind of balance each other out. Jesus embodied both truth and grace perfectly. We don't, usually, but he, but he did. And the same thing is true to a degree when it comes to work and rest. Some of us are just workers, or maybe I should say some of you are just workers. <laughs> and some of us are resters. You know? I mean, there are people that are workers. They're like, 
What's that song? We're gonna work till Jesus comes. <laughs> yeah, it was an old song that we used to sing. We're gonna work till Jesus comes. You know, and it, there are people like that. They just, you know, let's get the job done. We're not gonna quit. We're not gonna slow down. We're gonna push through till it's done. And uh, if you're married to one of those persons, God bless you. <laughs> Others are rest people. You know, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to sit at His feet. Yeah, okay. Well, guess what Jesus was? Both. He was both. He came with a mission, and he accomplished his mission. But he did it with rhythm. Jesus lived in the rhythm of heaven. And there is a rhythm between rest and work that is so life-giving that it's utterly amazing. And that is the place that he calls us to live, to live in the rhythm of heaven, a place where love and obedience are so married that you can't even see a difference between the two. A place where doing things for the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, and being at the feet of Jesus in devotion are so connected that you can't do one without the other. Some of us lean towards work and others lean towards rest, but we need to know that God is calling us to live in the rhythm of heaven. And you may not be able to perfectly walk that out now. But I want you to know that God will lead us into that place more and more and more as we yield to him, as we surrender our hearts to him, as we trust him, as we believe that we are his and that because we're his, we are a part of his mission. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants us to live in the rhythm of heaven with him. Loving him, loving the Father, loving the Spirit, and loving the lost. That's what he wants. Now let's pray. Jesus, we... Uh, we recognize that um, sometimes we drift away. We drift away from the things that, that you've called us to do and the things that you've called us to be. And we, we repent of that. And we, help, we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to get back on task, to, to understand that uh, you saved us for a purpose and that your word to us is the same as the word you gave to the disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. I thank you, Lord, that there is a place of rest. There is a place at your feet. And I thank you, Lord, that also there is a place. There is a place of doing. In and through the power of your spirit.
fill us, God, in our coming and in our going, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.